Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. You guys doing good? Yeah. You really are, I promise you. You're doing even better than you know. That's why it talks about consider Jesus, right? Just consider Jesus for a minute. When you find yourself in a situation where it feels like, man, life is so hard, things are so tough, wow, it seems like I'm getting pressed on every angle. Like I had a week last week that I would say, man, that was the longest week of my life, right? Like last week was a long week. We had a little fire in in Jackson's bedroom a couple weeks ago, and that set into motion this chain of events because, you know, if you're going to change carpet and you've always wanted to change your trim color, though you might as well change the trim while you're pulling out the carpet, right? And if you hate your wall color with the new trim, then you might as well paint the walls too, because then you don't have to worry about being neat when you're cutting in with the trim paint. And if you're doing that, and you kind of always thought that plant shelf was ugly, you might as well put some wood up there and spray that. And luckily, you know, a painter that comes to church, can come spray the doors for you, you know, or I'd still be there, and you guys would just be sitting here staring up at a blank stage. But it was like literally work till 2 o'clock in the, mor- in the morning every single night. Get up at 5, 5.30 and start over again and just hit it as hard as you could and just, that's what it was. And it's like, man, consider Jesus whenever we find ourselves going, man, that was a long week. Consider one day in the life of Jesus. He really is perfect. He's really done nothing but love people. He's healed the sick. He's raised their dead. He's done everything that he promised that he would do. When they were hungry, he fed them supernaturally. When they were sick, he healed their sick. He gave them words that brought life and that brought freedom, that brought hope to people who were hopeless. And yet here he is being beaten and they're grabbing his hair and they're plucking it out and they're, and they're punching him and they're saying, come on prophet, prophesy. Who punched you? I just think about that for a second. Consider Jesus when we're going through, when you face trials. Just consider the fact that the man Jesus Christ faced so much more than we would ever have to face for our sake. All for our sake. All for the sake of the people who were doing it for, to him. And then the day's not so bad. The week's not so long. Things aren't so horrible. So last week we started out, um, I had this, this message ready from Isaiah 60 about arise and shine for your light has come. And I think I got two words into it. I think we got through arise and shine. Um, and so for, for anyone that wasn't here, the podcast is available. Um, but we, when we talked about just that, that word arise, actually the, 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 the word arise there has a a part of it that means to be established. The first time God ever used that word was actually in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 18, where he said to Noah, he said, and today I will establish my covenant with you. It's that same word there that he uses for arise. And that word over and over again when it gets used means to raise up and be established. And so what God is saying to, to his people through the prophet Isaiah and what I believe he's saying to us today is arise, and then he says, and shine. It's, it's, it's arise and shine, for your light has come. And what, we talked about that, how God always does the part that we can't. The hard part is always his. For us to be lit up, for us to shine, for us to be brilliant, put on display, that's God's part. But he's already done his part. Because he said, arise and shine, for your light has come. Not arise and shine and then the light will come. Not arise and then the light will come. Arise and shine for your light has come. Your light has already come. The light of the world is already here. It says Jesus was true light who entered the world. 
and enlightened all men. And so he was, what God was saying was that he wanted his people to, be, to arise, to raise up and be established, and then they would shine because the light of the world had come. And why would, so, so anyways, we went into all that stuff, and if you weren't here last week, you can get the podcast, but we're going to pick back up here in chapter 2. I'm sorry, in verse 2, uh, Isaiah 60, um, verse 2 says, For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. So God's giving a promise here, and he says he wants his children to arise and shine, for light has come. And, and he says, because the, and here's why. Because deep darkness... Darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. That word darkness there um, is the Hebrew word koshek, which means the dark. Misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. Yeah. It's, that word there is koshek, and it means the dark. Misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. God says, I want my people to be established. I want my people to know who they are. That's why John, when John's writing, he says, For behold what love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called sons of God. And such we are. He's always wanting us to know who we are. Jesus, over and over again, was trying to say, Listen, this is who you are. Paul, over and over again, so many times throughout every one of his letters to the church, this is who you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Do you not know that though you were this, now you are that? We're going to get to that in Ephesians in a, in a little bit here. But, but over and over again, it's about being established and understanding who we are and then living as though that's true. Because you can, you can believe something. Like we can sit here and we can sing, I believe in you, I believe in you, you're the God of miracles. And we can sing that and shout that on a Sunday morning. But come Monday when Goliath walks into the valley, turn and run and not believe that he really still is the God of miracles. It's what the Israelite soldiers did every day. They would get up and their custom was they would walk to the edge of the battlefield and they would give their battle cry meant to terrify the enemy. But the second one man... Goliath walked into the valley and challenged them. Every one of the Israelites turned and fled in fear. Wouldn't it be a shame if the army of God gathered together and shouted a battle cry, but the second a Goliath walked into the valley, everybody turned to fear and ran? It's a good thing that only happened to the Israelites. Because see, you can say, I believe in you, but our life proves what we actually believe. I can say anything. It doesn't matter. Words are so super cheap if they're not backed up by a life that actually proves I believe it. Like if I really believe that He's the God of miracles, and that means anything that I face, I believe that there's something that He can do that trumps whatever it is that I'm facing. If I really believe that Jesus said, take heart, for in this world you will face trouble, but, but take heart because I've overcome the world. If I really believe that he's overcome the world, then that means there's nothing in this world that hasn't been overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. But believing that means that I live as though that's true. And when that's proven is not when I'm jumping around when everything's going right. It's when I'm standing on the edge of the valley and a giant walks down in. How do I respond? 
David understood and he actually believed. He said, surely the Lord deliver me from the hand of the lion and the bear. He will deliver the head of this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands today. Why? He believed that the same God who was and is would be the God who is to come. So if he was the same, if the same God is with me that was with me then, he will be with me now and all I have to do is trust him. It's why he wouldn't put Saul's armor on. Saul said, well, if you're going to go fight him. First Saul says, you can't go fight him. David, you can't go fight him. You're but a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. What's he saying? It doesn't make sense. I can't see a way that you defeat the enemy, and so because I can't figure it out logically, I'm going to discourage what you're trying to do in faith. Be really careful when the thing that you're doing in faith comes against discouragement from people who are using logic, human wisdom, and reasoning. There's nothing wrong wrong at all with logic and reasoning, as long as it doesn't try to overtake the place of the, of the Word of God in our lives. Because David's standing on a promise, and here comes Saul, and he says, look, you can't do this. You can't fight him. Why? Because logically it doesn't make sense. You're just a little boy, and he's been a warrior since the days of his youth. He's nine foot six tall. His, the guy carrying his shield is bigger than you, David. You can't go fight him. And then David says, don't worry. I'm going to go kill him. And the king says, okay, well, if you're going to go fight him, then take my sword, take my shield, take my armor. Why? Because all Saul could see was the natural way that the giant dies. And so when you're going after a giant and you believe that you have a word from God that says, David believed he had a word from God. He'd been anointed king by Samuel. He hadn't been king yet. That meant he doesn't die that day. That's why it's so important that we understand what God spoke over our lives and what He said over our lives because if you know what God spoke over your life and you know the things that God's called you into, if they haven't come to pass yet and you're walking in obedience, then you can look at the giant in the face and say, listen, I know what God has has promised over my life and I haven't seen all of it come to pass. That means you die today, not me. And you can have a confidence when you run down into the valley knowing that one of you is going to walk out of there alive and it's going to be the one who still has unfulfilled promises over their life from the God of the universe. I'm going into the valley. One of us is going to come out alive. My money's on me, not because I believe in me, but because I believe in him. And I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed unto him against that day. And you can have the same confidence David had. But you have Saul's. You'll have Saul's in your life. I promise you, you'll have people who will come to you and they'll have a a humanistic way that it can happen. Well, if you're going to do what I just said you can't do, then at least use the weapons that I don't think can kill him. Because here's the point. If Saul believed his sword and his shield were capable of killing a giant, he would have walked into the valley and fought the giant himself. Be really careful when the guy sitting on the sideline wants to tell you how to do the thing that God's called you to do that you're doing in faith. Seriously, be really careful when the guy who's sitting on the sideline telling you that the thing that God's called you to can't be done starts trying to tell you how to do it when he understands that you're not going to be talked out of it. See, because that's how it goes a lot of times in our lives. First, they'll be trying to talk you out of it. The very first thing is you can't. It's the very first thing David hears from who? He hears it from his family, and then he hears it from Saul. What's that a picture of? From the people who are in charge and the people who are closest, those are the ones telling him, you can't do this. His brother says, what are you going to do? Go back and watch those few sheep. So insulting, so looking down on him, so can't see him for who God sees him as. 
so doesn't believe the promise of God over his life. He saw David get anointed king. He heard the words of Samuel. He saw the oil flow down his head. And yet when his brother shows up to do something that he himself isn't able, or is maybe not even able, doesn't dare to do. Because the truth of the matter is, is David had the same covenant that every one of the Israelites had. He just happened to be the one that believed the covenant was true. They were all in covenant. They were all circumcised. They all had covenant with God. That's why he points out over and over again that Goliath is uncircumcised. Why? What's he saying? He doesn't have the covenant that I do. That's why he says it. It's why he points it out. The fact that he's uncircumcised means nothing when it comes to battle. Okay? It's hidden. It's protected. It had nothing to do with the battle. What is he pointing out? He's pointing out he doesn't have the covenant that I do. So that's why he says, today God will give the head of this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. What's he saying? He hasn't the covenant that I have, so he's going to die today because the God that I'm in covenant with is greater than the God that he's made covenant with, whoever it is. I don't even have to know his name. I just know what it's not. And it's not Yahweh. It might be Baal, it might be Balak, it might be all those different gods that they had, right? It doesn't matter if his name's not Yahweh, his covenant's not as great as mine. So I'm coming out alive, and it's a bad day for him. You can't. His family, then the guy in charge, the authority in charge, you can't. If that doesn't work and they can't talk you out of what God's called you to, the next thing will be to try to tell you how to do it. You just told me I can't. Why would I take your advice on how to do it? Why would I listen to you who just told me I can't go and kill the giant? Now all of a sudden you're going to tell me how to do what you said can't be done? No, thank you. But Saul only had trust in one thing. That was his sword. That's the thing he tried to give. What we believe in, and then this is tying it all together, what you actually believe in will be the thing that you try to give to other people when they face the giants. The thing that you believe in, the thing that you trust in, will be the thing that you try to give to other people. If it's God, it will be God. If it's a sword, it will be a sword. The problem is, is if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And the same sword that Saul offered to David eventually took his life when Saul fell on his own sword as he was about to be overtaken by the Philistines after watching his sons die in battle. Why? Because he lived by it. He died by it. I thought that was better than you guys are responding. And I can say that because it's not for me. I'm not smart enough to figure that stuff out. He shows me these things. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's okay to laugh in church, I promise you. There's no lightning bolts coming the second you start laughing. You're not like the last holy one left that doesn't laugh. Keeping the lightning bolts at bay for everybody else. It's okay. Relax. That's a lot of pressure. I'm so far away from where I started. Let me find my way back. I need like breadcrumbs, you know? I'm like Hansel and Gretel. No, I do want to say this. I was thinking about this during worship, and I think this is really for somebody, right? Is this, is that we sing, I believe in you, I believe in you, you're the God of miracles. And I was thinking about God brought me to that verse. I actually looked it up where he says, unless you become like a child, unless you convert and become like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I was thinking that word convert there, when you look at it in the original Greek language, what Jesus was saying was that if, or what, what, when it was translated, what it says is to turn back. So he's saying, unless you turn back into a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because a child just believes things. 
because their dad said so. And what happens to so many of us, and listen, there's some people in here that what's happened to you is disappointment has shaped what you believe more than what God has promised. When you were a child, you didn't have all the disappointments yet. The world was wide open in front of you and everything, your whole life was in front of you and all you could imagine was all the amazing things that were going to happen in your life. You never thought about any hardship. You never thought about any disappointment. You never thought about any rejection or any loss or any of those things that were going to happen in your life. All you saw was this huge life wide open in front of you and then one by one, disappointment came and it began to shrink what you believed because you adjusted what you believed to what you'd experienced rather than maintaining what you believe based on what God said. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying you need to go back to when you were like a child. Turn back and become like a child. What's he saying? Start believing again even in the face of things that would say that you shouldn't. Even in the face of the king looking at you and saying why you can't go kill the giant. Even in the face of your brothers telling you why you can't kill the giant. Even in the face of all these things turn back and start to believe like a child again. And start finding yourself saying, my dad said so. Remember when you were a kid, your dad said something and you just believed it? Like anything he said. And you'd argue with your friends, no, my dad said so. That was like the trump card. Once you played that card, all your cards were on the table. Right? It was like, I'll try to convince you with... with with, with logic, with reason, I'll try to convince you with making stuff up, I'll make up stories, I'll get someone to corroborate my made-up story, and if you don't believe that, my last card that I have to play is, my dad said so. <laughs> Why? Because dad was the authority, and if he said something, we just believed it. What about getting back to a place where, like a child, we actually just believe things because our dad said so? Because you never know. You might believe something you don't think will ever happen and then all of a sudden Wayman Dodson walks through the back doors of the church and then you realize God can really do anything. I love you, Wayman. It's good to see you. Wayman Dodson is an evangelist. That dude is a fire-breathing evangelist. And right now he's getting all humble and shy, but it's the truth. Um, so anyways, so this is what God was saying, right? It's this thing about a rise. It's this thing about being established. It's this thing about knowing what God has spoke over your life. It's knowing the word that you have. It's like David being so established in what God has spoke that anything that would come against what God spoke, you don't even see it as a threat or a problem. You see it as an opportunity. Because David's more focused on what he's going to receive if he kills the giant than how big the giant is or the reasons he can't kill him. He asks, he asks something to be repeated. He asks for one thing to be repeated. They're telling him a bunch of things. They're telling him how big the spear is, how big the shield is, how big his sword is, how tall he is, how long he's fought. All these things they tell him. He doesn't ask them to repeat any of those things. There's one thing he says. Tell me again. What is it? What will be done for the man who kills this giant? They said his father's house will be set free. He will be rewarded richly by the king. 
and he'll be given one of the king's daughters in marriage. He hears the promises of what will happen to the man who kills the giant. And that's the only thing he cares about hearing again. He doesn't want them to repeat how big the spear is. He doesn't want Saul to repeat what the reasons why he can't defeat the giant. But there's one thing he wants to hear again. Why? Because he's so comf- confident he's going to kill the giant. His only concern is, so wait, let me get this straight. What am I going to get when I kill him? That's a confidence that doesn't come from himself. It comes from believing in the one who, co- who sent him. Ah, oh, think about that. Think about if we believe the word of God over our lives, even to the point where others didn't, even when our families and even when people in charge, even when the powers that be of that day came to us and told us all the reasons that what God spoke over our lives couldn't happen. If we just believed that and we saw anything that came in the way of that as not an obstacle but an opportunity, There's a giant in the valley. That's not an obstacle to David taking the throne. It's an opportunity for David. And he runs down into the valley fully confident that God will. And that's what God's calling His people to right now. With this verse in Isaiah, and I believe He's speaking it to His bride now, is arise and shine. Be established and shine for, the lo- for your light has come. He's saying, I've already sent the light. The, everything that you need to shine is there. But you have to raise up and you have to be established. You have to actually know what I've spoke and believe it to the point that you can go out and shine that into the world. Because what you trust in is the thing that you'll give people when they're facing something something that's the quickest way to find out what somebody really believes go to them with a problem and see what their answer is if jesus thought he was the answer for every single problem he faced then we probably should start there too i think part of the reason honestly i know we say it's the part of the reason we have so many problems is we have so many answers we've made up answers that you can't even find in the bible for problems And the whole time, every time Jesus faced a problem, every single problem he faced, he said, I'm the answer. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. Over and over again. Meet a woman who's looking for love from husband to husband to husband. What's he tell her? You're looking for me. And when I give you the water that I have and you drink of that, you'll never be thirsty again. Why? Because I'm the answer. I'm the one you're actually looking for. And you don't even realize it. If we get rid of some of our answers, we would eliminate a lot of our problems. All right. I promise we're going to get diverse too. He says, For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. That word darkness, the dark, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness will cover the earth. That word cover doesn't actually mean cover the way we think of when we cover something. It actually, the, the original word there means to plump or to fill the hollows. To plump or to fill the hollows. It's a word, kasa. And it means to plump or fill the hollows. It's not saying that darkness is going to completely cover everything. It can't. Darkness can't cover light. You ever walked into a light room and tried to turn on the darkness? It doesn't work. So what is he saying? He says, and darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. He's saying, listen, anywhere that there is a void, there will be darkness that settles into it. So what's he saying? He's saying it's time for my people to be established. It's time for my people to shine. I've sent the light, but you have to actually sign. Remember Jesus said, you're the light of the world. 
First he said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you're the light of the world. Why? Because what he came, he came to give to us so that as he shined, shone the light of the Father, we could go and shine the light of the Father as well. That's why he said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. It says that in John, it says that he came into the world and he was light, the true light, which enlightens all men. So he's the light that comes into the world, but then he leaves and he says, now you're the light of the world. And so God's saying, I want my people to be so established and shining because there's a day coming and even is coming right now and is right now where deep, where darkness will cover the earth, where darkness will settle into everywhere that there isn't light. Every place the light of Christ is not shining. There is no gap. There is no void. It will be filled with darkness. That's why he wants us every different place. That's why he hasn't called every single one of us to go here, every single one of us to go there, every one of us to be this or every one of us to be that because he has no intention of us all huddling together with all of our light and letting the world just be filled with darkness. He wants every one of us to go into the world, the places that he's called us, and shine the light of the gospel so that there is no void and so that there is no place that is without the light of the gospel. But that's for us. That's why he's saying, listen, you have to arise and shine. Why? Because he's not going to do it for you. He's always wanted to work together with people. Always. In the beginning, he creates man, puts him in the garden and says what? Have dominion over and subdue the earth. Why didn't he just take dominion over and subdue the earth to begin with? Because he always wanted to partner with man to bring about his will upon the earth. Always. Every time. So he says, for, for darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness. That word deep darkness there is a word awful, which is where we get our word awful. And it means a gloom or a gross dark cloud. So what is God saying? God's saying, my people have to arise and they have to be established in who they are and they have to shine the light of the gospel because darkness is coming to fill every single place where there is not light. And a gross, dark, gloomy cloud is going to settle over people. We might have a medical term for that today. We might call it depression. Depression might be something that's below the surface where when a light shines across the surface it doesn't reach that little depression. Depression might be an area that's void of light. Depression may be something in my life that the light of the gospel hasn't touched. Depression may be some area of my life where I don't believe there is light of the gospel that can touch and I've closed myself off from receiving the truth, and I've settled into depression. Why? Because every single void that is without the light, according to the gospel, according to the word, is filled with darkness, with misery, ignorance, sorrow, destruction, and death. That's the koshek that has filled every void and every hollow place. Everywhere there's a lack of light, you will find ignorance, misery, destruction, death, sorrow, and wickedness. Every place. And where that is, it says that the people who are there will be covered with deep darkness, a raffle, gross, dark cloud, 
or gloom. So here's the deal. And this is what I believe God's calling us to as a people and what he's challenging his church with in this day through Isaiah and now through his word. There's two kingdoms on the earth. Whether you believe that or not doesn't change the fact that there's two kingdoms. We love to quote, we battle not against flesh and blood. The problem is, is that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we do battle against something. The verse doesn't end there. But against spiritual powers, principalities. Huh? Wickedness. Powers of darkness. Things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. What was Goliath? All Goliath was was a symbol of something that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why? Because it wasn't the Israelites he was defying. It was God. That's all Goliath was. All he represents is something that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why? Because the Israelite people had the knowledge of the covenant they had with God which said that he would provide for them and protect them as long as they would trust him and obey him. So here comes this giant into the valley and all he does is exalt himself against the knowledge that they have of God. Send a man to fight with me. He says, I challenge you. I challenge your God. That's why David says he's not coming against us. He's coming against God. He's not mocking us. He's mocking God. Why? Because everything in your life that comes against you is actually trying to come against a promise that God's made over your life. Why? Your life doesn't belong to you. It was bought with a price. So anything that comes against your life is actually coming against the one who purchased your life. That's why he says he'll be your defender. Why? Because he, you are belong to him. My children were given to me by God. They belong to me for the time that they're in my household. And when somebody comes against them, they're coming against me because I'm called to defend them and because I'm called to be their protector. Because God's placed me in that place in the same way. If you belong to Him, if your life is no longer your own but belongs to Him, anything that comes against your life is actually coming against the one who, who you belong to. And that's why He said that He'll defend you. Why? Because it's Him that they're coming against. That's why you can, with your eyes, look on and only see the destruction of the wicked. That's what it says. It says that, that, that though, the, though, uh, though a thousand fall at your left and ten thousand at your right... It shall by no means touch you. Only with your eyes shall you look on and see the destruction of the wicked. It doesn't even say that you'll destroy the wicked. It says you'll watch with your eyes and see the destruction of the wicked. Why? Because there's one coming who, belong, who you belong to who has promised to protect you. And when He comes, you'll look on and you'll see 10,000 on this side, 1,000 at that side might have fallen, but it's not going to touch me. I'll watch and see the one who promised to, to deliver me, deliver me. And it's not up to me to defend myself. Because he's promised to be my defender. This is what David understood. And this is the thing about the covenant that we have to understand. And we have a greater covenant. David would have loved to have had the covenant that you have. David used to pray, God, don't take your spirit from me. Why? Because the spirit of God would come and go upon people. Now the spirit of God lives inside of you. And there's a promise that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He would have loved to have had the covenant that you have, but he believed enough in the covenant that he did have that he did extraordinary things because when something happened in his life, he looked at the covenant that he had with God, he looked at the threat made of the enemy, and if the two didn't line up, he had no concern about the enemy. Amen. I believe what God has spoken. That means I can't believe what you have. 
In this life, you are going to face so many times where there's going to be a promise of God and a threat of an enemy, and the one that you bow to is the one that you believe is the most powerful and the most true. And that will determine so much in your life. So God's saying, be established and shine because the light has come, because Jesus is here. We have the, in Ephesians 5, Paul's writing, right? He says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Listen, not you're becoming light in the Lord. Not one day you will be light in the Lord. Don't take a theology that tells you you are something that the Bible says that you're not. You are not a dirty, dark sinner. Because the Bible says this, you were formerly darkness. If you were formerly, that means you no longer are. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What's he saying? This is who you are. Now walk like that's true. That's always the challenge. The light has already come. It's up to you to arise so that the light shines on you. You are light. Now walk as though you're children of the light. It's, the hard part's already done. You've become something, but you still have to actually walk it out. Just because you are light doesn't mean that everything you do is as children of the light. That why the instru- that's why the instruction is there. It says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Is there any question that you are light in the Lord? Is there anyone in this room that doesn't believe that they, if you're born again, a new creation in Christ, are light in the Lord? Anybody? Paul wants to argue with you if you do. No? Okay. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So now we've just gone from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And now we have Paul echoing the words of Isaiah to arise and the light of Christ will shine upon you. Why? Oh man, this is one of my favorite parts. Verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah 60. Yeah, we're back in Isaiah. Sorry, I I switched up on you. So he's saying, listen, arise and shine for the light has come. For there's, there's a deep darkness coming. There's misery, sorrow, ignorance, death, destruction. All this stuff is coming wherever there is no light. That's going to happen. But if you will actually shine the light of the gospel, it says nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. We're supposed to be influencers of influencers. And how can the people of God influence people if we're stuck down in the same gloom and despair as the rest of the world? If what we have to offer them is something that is no good until you die, what hope do we have for them in this life? How can we say like David, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? How can we say that? How can we say that we have hope, not just for eternity, but for this life as well? It's not one or the other, it's both. He came, he said, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and believe in the Son whom you've sent. Eternal life begins the minute that you know who God is and believe that he sent his Son to die on a cross for your sins, and you're born again. You step into eternal life, and though you may end your life on this earth, you will never, ever die again. You die once. 
whether that's at the end of your life on this earth or whether that's the end of the life that you started to live before you became born again. I'd rather die when I choose. I'd rather choose today to die so that I can be born again, a new creation in Christ, and never die. So he says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Mm. So it's not just for us. I'm just going to close up with this. It's not just for us. Huh? Oh, I thought you said something. Because if you don't arise and actually shine, you may live below where Jesus died on a cross for you to live. And that is a shame and that is a tragedy. But even worse than that is the fact that your life was meant to be an example to people so that they would be drawn to the goodness of the Father through seeing your life put on display by Him. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. My life is no longer my own. It doesn't belong to me. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. They put it up on a stand so that everybody can see it. What is he saying? I didn't just save you for you. I saved you for you and for those who would come to me through your life actually being put on display so that when people see you and they see what's good and they're drawn to you, rather than you using that to build your own kingdom, you use that to point them to the one who actually made you who you are. And that's, see, that's the temptation that we're going to face. Listen, if you're, it says, and His glory will come upon you. Later it says, and, and His light will shine upon you. And His glory, the heavy, weighty presence, the glory of God will come upon you. Then there's a responsibility. And that's where we have to be careful. Because when God wants to put you on display, He has no intention of putting you up on display so that the world can watch you come tumbling down. And say, look at another Christian who claimed to be one thing and actually was another. He has no absolutely no desire to see that can he fix that can he redeem that can he restore that can he use that for good even that which was meant for evil absolutely but it is not his intention to put you on a stand to knock the stand over and have you come tumbling down he wants people that he can put that have integrity so when he puts you up on display people can say if you've seen me you've seen the father follow me as i follow christ it wasn't just Paul that was supposed to be able to say that. Paul didn't say, put me in stained glass, name churches after me. It's okay to do that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. We make him Saint Paul because then it makes us feel better when our life doesn't look as much like Jesus as his did or when we can't say the same things that he did. But he never called himself Saint Paul. He called himself a servant of Christ. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. We can get carried away doing things he never said to do and miss out on everything he called us to do if we're not careful. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Mm. So here it is. Be established in who God's called you to be. Understand who He's made you to be. Actually believe. This is the moment your life changes when you really believe that you're no longer who you were, but you actually become a new creation in Christ Jesus and that everything has passed away and that all things have become new. 
And I don't care if that was yesterday or if that was 10 years ago because His mercy is new every single morning. That means that it wasn't a one-time thing and now you have to answer for everything that happened from that day forward because now you're responsible. It means every single day when you wake up, God looks at you with new mercy and He's forgotten everything that was and remembers only what is to come. That's a promise in the Word. I am the Lord their God who will forgive their sins and remember them no more. So far as the east is from the west of me, so far shall their transgressions be removed from me. And where do you sit? You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father, which means that at the same time your sin is moving away from Him, from the east is from the west, as far as it can, it's being removed from you the same distance as well because you're seated next to Him in heavenly places. It's in your Bible. That's good news. That's the gospel. The minute you believe that, everything changes because you no longer believe that you're bound to be the person that you were and you no longer live in fear thinking that things that you've done will be the things that you'll always do because the person that you were is not the person that you are. And the things that you did have no more to do with you today than they will for eternity in heaven. You stand, if you're born again, listen to me, believe this. Listen to me and and believe this. If you're born again, the way that you stand before the Father right now is the same way that you'll stand before Him for eternity because nothing happens in between the day that you leave this earth and the day you stand before the throne. There's not a veil of blood that you pass through. If that's the case, then death is your Savior, not Jesus. Death is not your Savior. Jesus Christ is. And if you're born again in Christ, a new creation, and old things have passed away and everything's become new, then the way that you stand before Him today is the way you'll stand before Him on that day holy, blameless, upright, beyond reproach. Because that's the way that Christ is able to present you to the Father. There's no magical moment where when you die, suddenly you become this thing that you never were. And then you stand before the Father and He sees you differently than He did the minute before you died. The way He sees you right now is the same way He sees you when you'll stand before Him if you're born again in Christ. And if you're not born again, it's the same. The way He sees you now is the way that He'll see you then. The minute that you actually believe that, your life will change because you actually believe that you're more than who you were. You're more than your mistakes. You're more than the things that you wish you would have done. You're more than the things that you knew that you shouldn't have done. You're more than the things that you've done wrong. You're more than the things that you've done right. You are who God said that you are. And He put you on this earth for a reason. And He said this. He said, I formed you in your mother's womb. And how did He give us life? He breathed life into us, right? He actually spoke us into existence and breathed life into us. And He said, every word that He spoke will not return to Him void without accomplishing that which He sent it forth to do. That means that there's no way you're returning back to heaven if you're following Him and you're born again in Christ. There's no way you're returning back to heaven without accomplishing the things that He sent you forth on this earth to accomplish. And if you've got a giant standing in front of you right now, trust me, that's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. It's a story in the making. It's something that you can hold up the head of and encourage the army of the Israelites and say, this was what you were afraid of? What happens? David cuts the head off the giant. Why? Because he believes the giant's already dead before he goes into the valley. And he cuts the head off the giant and it says, and he held it up and emboldened the armies of Israel and they overtook the Philistines and pursued them and slew them all by the sword. The same Philistines that they were terrified of and hiding in the caves, they suddenly overtook. Why? Because one man believed a promise enough to actually live as though it was true. 
And when he accomplished what God put him on the earth to accomplish, his act emboldened everybody else around him. You have no idea how many people are watching your life and they see you actually live out the words of Jesus and believe that it's true and live as though it is. And when you do that, it makes them believe that they actually could too. That's loving your own life, not unto death. David doesn't love his own life unto death. He runs down into the valley, not afraid of death. Why? Because he's so confident in the one who holds death in his hand. He's so confident in the God that conquered death that he runs down into the valley, not afraid of death, but trusting him. The blood of the Lamb... That's what washes you clean. That's the only thing that makes you right. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. It's the only thing. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why we have to be born again so that He who became no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. It's in your Bible. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the blood of the Lamb, and then it's the word of our testimony. That's David grabbing the giant's head. You know for three days he carried the head around with him? Days later he went into Saul's tent and he still had the head of the Philistine with him. Why? Because he wanted to make sure if there was one person who hadn't seen what God was capable of doing through a person who trusted Him, that they saw that head when He dragged it in and they understood the shepherd boy killed the giant, not because of who the shepherd boy is, but because of the God that He's in covenant with. He's dragging the head with Him everywhere He goes. I know that sounds gruesome. If your 14-year-old walked in your house dragging the head of a giant, you'd probably think it was gruesome too. But you know the truth of the matter is, is this. Every one of us is dragging giants' heads around with us. Every one of us God has used to cut the heads off of dragons. And every one of us has something we can hold up to show the world what one person can do who believes in the God that they're in covenant with. Every one of us. And if you don't have a head to hold up, then that means the battle's not over yet. If you don't have a head to hold up to show the world what one person who believes in the, in the God of the universe and the covenant they have, that means the battle isn't over yet. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting because it's not over until you have something to hold up to show for it. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've called us to be a people that arise and shine. God, I thank you that you said that you sent the light, that the light has already come, that if we would arise, that we would shine, that we would be made luminous, God. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for every promise that you spoke over our lives. God, I ask that we would become like children that just believe because our Father said so. God, that we wouldn't let experience and disappointment shape our beliefs more than your word and what you've spoken, what you've done. God, that we would come to a place where we can look at a giant in a valley and believe the word over our life more than the words on their lips. And I thank You for that, God. I thank You that there's so many heads of so many giants that, re- that right now in the lives of Your people are being slain and being held up for the world to see so that others who were afraid of that same giant get emboldened to chase down the giants in their lives and slay them in the same way. I ask, God, that You give us a boldness in this time, God, that we would not back off from truth even while walking in love. God, that we would be more confident in the God who's in us 
than the giant that's in the valley. God, that we would never worry about the darkness that's coming because we believe that's an opportunity for us to shine the light of the gospel. That we would see every void as some place to be filled with your light and with your love, God. That we would be way more oppressed in what was done for us than what has been done against us. And I thank you for that, God. And I ask that every single person who hears these words would believe that they are yours, that their life belongs to you, that they no longer belong to themselves. They were bought at a heavy price, which was the blood of Jesus. And that they would believe that every giant and every enemy that comes against them is actually coming against you. That we would trust ourselves completely to you, to not defend ourselves, God, but believe that you are our defender, that you stand before the Father ever living to make intercession on our behalf. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.